NFT 1.0 was like the minting. So like getting things done, um, making sure that something could get on the blockchain, that people could own it, and that you could then start delivering value to the NFT. NFTs 2.0 is integrating NFTs much more largely into a broader system. So in my opinion, I think that NFTs that then create ecosystems is going to be really important. There's only 10,000 of them, 5,000, however many a collection has. But there's so many different interactions and things that you can offer. Welcome, everybody. I'm Mark Peter Davis, Managing Partner of Interplay. On this podcast, I interview innovators about their strategies, industries, and decisions. On this week's episode, I chat with Sterling Campbell, CEO of Minotaur. Minotaur is a Web3 platform that helps people and brands launch NFT projects. Now, there are a lot of steps in launching an NFT project, including a fair bit of technical requirements, and it's super complicated. Minotaur's tech-enabled service does all of this and makes the process simple. As they put it, they bring together artists, blockchain engineers, community managers to build successful NFT projects that can scale. Now, Sterling has been in the NFT space since 2017, which for this industry is quite a long time. So he's been around the block a few times and learned a bunch of stuff. If you are still scratching your head at this point in the game about what NFTs are, well, then this is a good conversation for you because he breaks it down pretty well and explains how this whole thing works. He also dives into what's wrong with the industry right now. And he is hoping for a transition to what he calls NFTs 2.0, where NFTs flip from their focus on just providing membership access to being technically more integrated into the broader ecosystem and enabling them to provide more value to the members of the community. Sterling is definitely the right guy for the space. He has lived at the nexus of media, entertainment, and business. And as far as the space being too risky, well, that's not really an issue. Uh, during the conversation, Sterling tells us about the time he was skydiving and his parachute didn't open. Oh yeah, and if that wasn't enough, he's also a DJ that toured with the likes of Little John and T-Pain. Enjoy the conversation. This episode is brought to you by Fireon Marketing. Fireon Marketing is a full-service marketing firm providing high-quality, cost-effective solutions. They support companies in developing websites, creating content, email marketing, optimizing SEO, and managing ad campaigns on social media, Google, and beyond. What's unique about their approach is that they connect all of the marketing activities together to create a unified conversion loop and generate higher yield for clients. If you're interested in learning more, visit fireonmarketing.com. Sterling, welcome. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate you having me. Awesome. Uh, so let's start off by diving into Minotaur. Do you want to give us an overview of what the company does? Yeah, totally. So Minotaur is a full service end to end solution for NFT creation um, for brands and creators. So it's a on one hand, it's a white glove agency for top tier creators and brands. On the other hand, it's a self serve platform uh, that enables long tail creators to build their own uh, NFT projects. The whole reason for creating the company is the fact that like interacting with the blockchain is extremely important for long tail creators to own their audiences and to own their own monetization. But at the end of the day, it's really hard because you have to find a you know, a Solidity dev, you have to understand the crypto space, you have to understand the, the crypto communities. And we really just wanted to make that easier for long tail creators, but also enable all of our idols to uh, kind of jump in and make their own projects as well, uh, who need a more white glove um, treatment. So it's a, it's a nice little hybrid there. And so folks doing, you know, NFTs before, they were finding their own teams of people who were kind of experts in the space and kind of putting it all together. And now you guys show up in your one-stop shop. Is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, there's a couple of things. We, we always make the joke that like half the half the celebrities that we talk to or half the creators we talk to 
uh, it's a bunch of kids in hoodies that come in and they're like, let us do your NFT project. You'll make millions of dollars. Like, and, and they have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea what, what they're agreeing to. And for us, it's like, we come from a place of trust. A lot of the people at the company worked in entertainment before. So we know we, ha- we have strong trust in the, in the ecosystem. But at the same time, it's also abstracting a lot of the complexity out. So you're not overwhelming them with like, now you gotta, you have to talk in this discord and you have to go on this, you know, Twitter spaces and all the stuff that again, like they don't really want to do. Um, but at the end of the day, know that they have to do in order to kind of convert into, in, into this opportunity. Um, so for us, it's yeah, one stop shop, but also we're there for the strategy. We're there for everything else. Um, because we think it's important or these, in these early days for, for projects to have as much in them as possible. And we really want to stand above in terms of quality. Can you think of us some examples of folks you've worked with? Who, who's used you guys to do their NFT drop? Yeah, so we built the tech for, for Creature World um, with Danny Cole. Danny is a, an artist in New York. Um, he did $150 million in secondary revenue on his project. Um, he's currently building out the second, second phase of it. Um, really strong artist with a really cool, anyone that hears Danny talk, it's, it, it's so electric that you know, people have to buy, which is kind of the, the main driver of the secondary, but also so much really cool tech went into building that, um, project. There was a game before you minted. There was a way to change metadata of the actual NFT you have. There's a lot of like really cool things that happen there. Um, another project is Castle Kid with Colin Tilly. Ca- Colin Tilly is a Grammy award winning director. Um, has done a bunch of music videos for Justin Bieber and a bunch of other big acts. Um, that one has been really ambitious in terms of our rollout. We were the fastest um, project to ever, we had the most traits ever in a project, which ended up being a little bit more of a problem than it was a success. Uh, we also did uh, the fastest uh, time to merch in terms of token gated access to things. He's doing a masterclass on producing um, and directing. And then the longer term plan here is to do a the first feature film um, based on uh, NFT sales. Um, so allowing the community as a DAO to decide the future of the film, to contribute to its creation as well as its actual recording, um, and and like the post editing process and all of those other areas, and then being able to be that first that first um, film kind of created out out of a DAO, which we're really excited about. Um, those are just a couple. We also I've done a bunch of advisory work for a bunch of different projects, um, some of which is public and some of which isn't. But uh, I've been around the space since you know 2017, so. Have definitely had my fair share of, of uh, interactions and in, in, on the blockchain, which is a long tenure in this industry. Yeah, I think it's like one of the one of the longest. Everyone's always like, "I was in crypto since whatever," and like no one can say like NFTs since that long, other than like a very select few, which I think is I've always kind of clung to a bit. What does the service at Minotaur do and not do? Like, where do you guys start and stop? So we're we're there from day one. If if we can be for for Castlekid, for example. Uh, the actual like I- creation of the IP happened on the, on like one of the first calls. So we sit from strategy all the way to to follow through. One thing that we're really starting to to work on now, and like one of our early learnings was that the follow through is is fairly important. So like creating the proper incentives to uh, attach us to things without hurting our scalability is really important. But there's so many like hacks that we have for scalability, and so many different ways that we can dog food our own products. That now everyone on our pro- everyone on our team, um, come the end of this month, will be able to launch their own project. So essentially, can run the process from start to finish, and we don't necessarily need this, you know, this team hopping from project to project like we previously did. Um, but to be honest, like we continue to support now. I, I, you know, it's been about three months since we minted Castle Kid, and we're just hammering each of the the roadmap uh, items. The other part about that is that's really nice is that every time we do something, it's tech that can be can service the the rest of the projects that we do. So as soon as we build. Um, like a DAO workflow, one click DAO. Now we can add that to any project. So, so any projects that we do now, and this has been what we've been working on over the past couple months, any projects that we do now can come ready to, ready to rock so you can keep that momentum. So you're not 
you know, launching a project and then saying, all right, now we're going to go build all the stuff that we said we were going to. Now it's like, here's what we're promising and we can deliver, you know, 75% of this on day one. And then you get the journey of the rest. So you get to have that, that cool experience alongside the medium. Okay. So let's say someone listening to this decides, all right, I want to do one of these. How much time and planning do they need? What, what's, how long does it take from the time they drop you guys an email? To the time something's happening yeah it's it's a hard answer uh you know i hate i always hate to say like it depends but it, it, it kind of depends on a couple things one thing is speed of the art i think it's really hard to the, the two biggest bottlenecks are community and art a lot of the tech that we have now is is super scalable so we can launch a you know a d app and all that stuff in in about three days um the hardest part is like getting a project that people want to buy the space is changing so much from these like cash grabs and, and, you know, unsustainable times to, to what I keep calling like NFTs 2.0, where it's people are actually finally, <laughs> finally demanding something. Uh, they're not okay with just, Hey, we're going to do a game. And then, you know, obviously the game never gets made. Now they're finally demanding something that's actually concrete and, and done. So, um, those are the two biggest blockers in, in our mind. Like the actual launching of a project has now become fairly commoditized on, on our, on our personal end uh, as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really about finding the right project. So, it's cool. We're doing like we're doing a project now with a, like a five hundred million dollar fashion company. We're doing another one with um, you know Pulitzer winning uh, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, cartoonists and and things like that. Um, major athletes, major celebrities, people that are idolized in their relative countries, like all these different types of, of verticals. Because now it's we're moving from this era of like yeah, just promising stuff to like let's go actually do this. Let's go actually deliver this stuff. Right. And and that's really a really cool place for us to move. So to answer your question. It, Six to eight weeks, I think, is like a is a, is a clean time to for for the launch. But again, at that point, you don't have too much. It's it, that, it could also be three to four months. Um, it, it all kind of depends on what you're offering and kind of the angle that you're taking to sell the project. Got it. So, who's a good fit? Who who should reach out to you if they hear this? I think people that are good at building communities. Honestly, like I, I published something on value recently. Um, it's something that I've been thinking as like a founder and someone who's also been an investor for most of my career, like. I think about value less than I probably should, but now it's come to the point where yeah, I really analyze like what people find value in. And, and I think the biggest early value creator is, is community. I think the idea that there's no real places right now where you can like, like synchronously talk to people. You have Twitter and all these other Reddit and all these other places where you can, you can say your opinion, someone will eventually get to it and you can have that interaction. But, but Discord and token gated communities and all this is such a cool way to like, get that live. I can jump into a castle kid discord and talk to, you know, hundred people and, and like that type of engagement and like attention is something that the average person just doesn't have, right? Like superstars get that type of attention and any, anything that they do, but the average person doesn't get like thousands of people reading their thing, uh, whatever they have to say and like reacting to it and all these other things, uh, very, very well. So I think communities is number one beyond like celebrity. We've learned a lot actually about all that stuff. Uh, the second is like, do you actually want to build in the space? Um, we don't, we try as hard as we can to avoid cash grabs. We don't like to work with celebrities or any creators that we see don't actually want to do the project, don't actually want to follow through on what they're saying. And right. even if they balk at like early engagement, like they don't want to talk to their community, they don't want to do it. Then it's like, we don't, we don't want to just launch stuff and get people hurt. Like it's, it's bad on our brand and it's bad on their brand. So uh, those are the two biggest things for us. Like, do you actually want to do this? Do you actually want to be in this for a long term? Because because Web3 is going to be around for a while and you get, you only get so many bites of the, uh, the Apple here. And, and we try to communicate that as much as possible and, and try to preserve our brand as much as we can. So I was just at a conference and they had someone come and talk about NFTs and I could see it was like mostly over the head of everyone in the audience. Could we do a quick NFT 101 
and just dumb the hell out of this. Uh, if you might, wouldn't mind starting with an overview, but then I'm going to, I'm going to, um, ping you with a couple of topics or words that everyone's hearing just to make sure they get the lay of the land. That works. All right. So you want to just start NFTs? What are they? Start there. Yeah, perfect. So NFTs are basically a, it stands for non-fungible token. The idea is that it can't be changed. It's immutable. It is a unique piece of um, art or an item on the blockchain. It's, it's different from like a US dollar, for example, where like if you have a hundred dollars, a hundred single US dollar bills, they all, they're all the exact same. They might have different serial numbers, but they, they're interchangeable. Um, NFTs technically are, are not all the same, right? Like they, they're part of collections, but um, they all have unique qualities. This is, this is most obvious in terms of like traits. So if you look at like the Board Ape Yacht Club or any of these things, each one of those NFTs is part of a collection that carries like certain um, attributes, but they're all different. Some of them have hats, some of them don't. Um, the utility of that stuff doesn't really matter. It's more like a rarity thing. Like this is the rarest thing, which again, if you look at like baseball cards or other things, you can kind of see why, why people care about that. It's not something that I personally care about as like, uh, I'm not like a collectibles person as much as I am like a utility person. But the cool part about this is that is not that you get cool art of a monkey that is unique, but, but rather the fact that the underlying technology of that photo of that JPEG is more than a JPEG. It is, it is you, your ticket to things. It is your membership. It is your access code. It's your, uh, authorization. You don't have, you don't use your email to sign up for things, uh, in, in web three. You use your wallet and you use your identity, your your metaverse identity to, to jump into these things. So the, the problem with NFTs largely and like the confusion is that people see a picture of a, of a monkey and they're like, how is this worth like $100,000? Like, I don't understand it. And and to be honest, like there are times in which I don't understand it either. Um, and there are times when like value gets decoupled from price. Uh, and I think that's a really important like thing that people are learning for the first time in these markets, given that they've been told their whole life that like markets are efficient and all this other stuff. The reality is that like if they're not, and it becomes a lot more apparent the, the true speculative value of these things when all of a sudden that JPEG is getting you on a yacht or is getting you into a just you know into a conversation with Steph Curry or any of these things are happening, um, which all carry higher value. I, I'm not going to pretend like it's a hundred thousand dollars worth of value, but I I will say that like a lot of utility can be delivered to these things, and and people interact in this way already. It's just they buy tickets to things. It's a, just a different mechanism for delivery. And I think that. The jump is not as big as people think, and I think people are so scared because all the buzzwords and all the nonsense, and and it's it's really a lot of the same stuff we're doing now, just in a smoother, uh, you know, hopefully going to be a smoother way. Yeah, that's the thing that made it click for me a while back was when I when I realized it wasn't really just an art technology, which I want to talk about. At its core, it's a really good ticketing system, right? That's the language you're using. That I don't yeah. hear a lot of people even in the space talking about it that way. But that, that's when it clicked. Because that makes sense. Like you can imagine you're going to, you know, you know, NBA game and you've got some digital asset that looks cool. It's got a little bit more fun character than a QR code on a yeah. ticket. Right. But it also has the same effect, gets you in. And the person who wants to let you in knows it's you and you've paid for it. That's that's the core yeah. foundational layer of this, right? And we're applying it to art now. Totally. That's where this is starting. Right. Well, the, the cool thing is that you're applying it to, to artists and like, that's why it gets so broad because all of a sudden like utility around an art, like a musician, musician, for example, is, is massive. Like you not only get something that could give you early access to their albums, but also you could get a VIP ticket, right? Like you, there's so many different layers in which you can add utility to these things. And it really, right. it's funny because we've done all that we can to like decouple and like unbundle all of the services and like make them all these little point solutions. 
And like now we're moving back into this, like, let's bundle it all up. Like, let's do, let's find super fans and let's have them pay for something that gives them the best access as possible. Let's not do like a Patreon and then like a VIP ticket and all these other things. Let's just front run revenue and couple it all into this, you know, $400 asset that goes directly to the artist as opposed to all these different platforms. You know, OnlyFans takes 25%, Twitch takes 50%. Like the, the numbers are staggering when you think about like the creator economy is not owned by creators. It's owned by platforms. And, and that's what's so cool. You're getting a ticket to like their show. It's not just like a, a physical experience, but like you're getting a d- deeper ticket to like the journey of the artist. So Danny Cole is a great example. He had 7,000 followers. He was about to begin his journey as a well-recognized artist. And all of a sudden you get a ticket to that. So now I get a front row seat. I get first access of everything he's doing. Um, and there's, there's upside that t- that's tied to it. So not only that, it's like if I'm a hipster and I'm like always talking about the, the musicians that I saw first, I can buy that NFT as like a investment in the artist. Um, which again, there's a bunch of complexities and difficulties that come with like decoupling art from, from like investment opportunities. There's a reason like we don't usually do that kind of ruins the fun a little bit, but yeah, at the same time, you know, it adds benefits to everyone as well. Right. So another, another way to put it is it's a supercharged membership card to a community. Yep. Or right? brand. But it's, that's, but it's a unique card into itself. That's a little bit of a status symbol because it looks cool. Yeah, exactly. Right? And you can flex that like no one owns this unique one. And that's why r- where rarities get important. Again, like I'm not a, when I traded NFTs and, and was flipping them like a madman, I never, never cared. The only time I would get excited is if I happened to mint one and it happened to be rare and I would get more money than I would have otherwise. But right. people like it. People like the social you're a capitalist. proof. And I'm not going to pretend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm not going to pretend like I don't know why it's happening. It's just not for me personally. Right. Okay. So when everyone's hearing art and community, those are the kind of core pieces that are coming together around these membership type organizations. Now, uh, can, can you give a little overview on Discord? Everyone's hearing about it. I think a lot of people don't know what the hell it is. Will you cover that? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is one of our biggest challenges with, uh, with bigger brands who obviously the demographics of them are not necessarily crypto native. Um, so Discord started as like a, originally it was like a 4chan style, like, like hell spot for like a bunch of DGENs. And it then became like a gamer mechanism and like, I remember it was the only way that I could like play video. I used to literally grab my cell phone and I would call my friends when I was a kid and just talk to them on the phone because I didn't have a, a mic and we were playing on a computer game. So there was no uh, voice chat. And I just remember doing that so much. And the discord enabled me to voice chat with my friends, to create parties, like to create group chats that like, they weren't like green bubbles because someone had an Android. Like it just was a really smooth experience and, and really nice for that. You could create specific channels. You can make things private. Like, it just became a really cool place just to hang out and talk. And the NFT space has completely taken it over. Same with Twitter also. Is like, those are the two hubs in terms of like where crypto Twitter, like where crypto groups hang out. And Discord's really nice because there's so many different tools that are being built to token gate things. Uh, again, they're all manual. Discord isn't really doing a lot of these things. I'm sure they're doing them in the background. But uh, when you say token you can build gate, you mean you have to have the NFT membership card just making this dumb to get access to the discord. Channel. No, please. Yeah. I'm a yeah. little bit too in it sometimes. You're, you're so you're in I, the I miss the forest for the trees. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so please stop me if that, if that happens. But yeah, so that's the thing is some of our biggest channels, right? Like a place where I share all of the alpha, which is basically the word for like any, any tips that I get on like, Hey, this is going to be a hot project or like, mm. you know, Justin Bieber just got involved in this, like whatever it is. Um, which again, like there, there's complexities to that as well, like, like sharing alpha and all that stuff, you know, information, uh, asymmetry and things like that. But, but those channels you can only get to if you buy the NFT. And that's really like where the value of community actually is, is demonstrated, right? Like 
that's where you decide. That's where the market decides. Like, this is such an exclusive group. There's only 10,000 of these. I want to be able to talk in this group. Um, so you buy an NFT and then all of a sudden you get access. It was the main reason actually why I wanted a board ape so bad. Um, in the beginning when I was just a young pup in the, in the space, I was like, everyone talked about how great the community was. And I was like, I don't really know what they do, but, but the community sounds dope. It sounds like it's a bunch of really smart people who have all believed in this for longer than everyone else. And like, I'm going to get involved here. Um, and it's just funny. Cause like I'd write did about this one? all the time too. Like I did. Yeah. I've, I've and, had, I've had, and how great is the community? It's, this is the big thing. And I, I don't want to, I've been called like a more bearish founder, which I think is actually benefit in the space. Like I've right. been called bearish, like a couple and people, some people are like, why are you fudding my bags? Like, why are you and fudding is fear, uncertainty, despair. Basically any type of negativity is like cast out in the communities. And it's like, if, if you're not like drinking the Kool-Aid, people will get really angry. But the reality is like, I joined it and I remember being like, I'm in some way sicker spots, like already that are like way cheaper. And, and a lot, I, I've met a lot of apes and like, they're great people. The apes in general, like you guys, like, unbelievable uh in terms of what they're doing they're going to be it's an inevitability i think it's a no-brainer in terms of of opportunity there but it is just funny that like value sentiment is just purely dictated by price in that type of, of industry and everyone will will hoorah and talk about how great the community is when the price is going up and that the price goes down the community abandons it because people aren't actually driven by community they're driven by by value and they're driven by price and like again that's totally fine everyone has their own thing but it was just funny to me to, to get in and i was so excited to like link my nft and like start talking i i have this big like what's up guys like here's who i am and just like kind of fell flat and and the rest of it was like just kind of whatever uh definitely not worth the price of admission now i'll tell you that but but i will say that like it is speculative assets right right like the value that if you had an ape like the value that you've been given in terms in terms of dollars is like undeniable the amount of times you've been airdropped things or uh any of the like crypto ethos style like benefits that that are unique to crypto um have come to you. You know, people have made hundreds of thousand dollars just by holding one of these things without ever liquidating. So it's all it's all really interesting, and I, I, I toss it over in my mind like all the time. And it's a big status symbol, right? Like everyone's got their Twitter handle, their their profile pictures of their ape if they have one. Yeah, that's the, the thing that I miss the most. I would say is uh, having that got me many more Twitter follow. That's the other part. I I think I've written about this in in my last piece. It was basically like. This amount of people have not had this level of, of like mini celebrity ever before. And the fact that you can buy something for a couple hundred bucks and then all of a sudden have 500 new friends, people through the pandemic and all these other r- random things, like they're thirsty for community. They're, they're willing to get outside of themselves or any rational thought that they had be- before they got red pilled by crypto. Like they're now j- just aping into anything that will give them that sense of like, for just a moment, that like quick hit of dopamine of, of seeing that those notifications pop up. And I, I see it all the time. Um, even my own co-founders who have like built small Twitter followings of their own, they get very fired up when that type of stuff happens. It's the only reason I think some of them buy NFTs. It's like just that dopamine rush of like more bodies, right? Like it's just an interesting thing. So what's your biggest hit to date? You guys, you guys have been doing this. You're kind of the backbone. You're one of the, the main people in this market, helping people push these out. What's the stuff that, you know, you, you kind of hang your hat, you hang your hat on at this point. So the three case studies that we talk about are like our involvement with Boonji, um, who did 15 million in primary. Um, we did like the social, I, I published an article in Forbes on them and, um, really helped build that team out on the, uh, the tech side. Um, this was before we had incorporated as a company, but we had done creature world. Um, it would done 150 million in secondary, uh, the tech side of that. So the, that, those were the two, like we did like a piece solution of, of a, of a larger project. Um, Castle Kid to date is like our biggest, our, our biggest like end to end success. 
Um, it taught us a tremendous amount. The whole goal of Castle Kid was always to be like a proof of concept that we can not only show to other artists and other creators, but also one that we can like learn everything we could about every single step in the process. I had before that done an advisory project, something like that. I had launched a smart contract. I had, I had built a generative algorithm. Um, I had done all these things like front by hand, like, like painstakingly. I I'd, I'd learned enough solidity to be dangerous. And I knew that I could do the full end end, but doing the full end end and having all these things linked, it does create a lot more complexity, does create a lot more, more needs and, and being able to roll with the punches and be agile and those types of things is also really important. So the, the successes have been different in terms of the, um, in terms of monetization. They've, the largest success in my mind, in terms of the future of the company has been Castle Kit. I think we've built more overall tech. It, it, it put a, our heads down and said, we need to actually like standardize a lot of this stuff. I need to actually arm my people. Um, and in the meantime, we've just been heads down on, on signing much stuff. I think the biggest things we have are the biggest successes we're going to have are going to be done over the next couple months. I, our pipeline has so many names on it that it's become its own section of our Slack of just like pure deals that we're doing. Um, we've signed mm. multiple major brands. We're now the preferred partner of Warner Music Group um, and several uh, talent agencies, just given our, our connections. And we've really just been getting our ducks in a row and, and parsing through all of the demand in order to kind of figure out our go forward, just given the fact that this started with, you know, two, literally started with two kids in a small crowded apartment and has grown now. And our team is, you know, dozens of people in terms of part-timers and, and our overall ecosystem of, of mods and things like that. So very quick growth and just kind of scaling that has been been a lot. But yeah, Casco has been our, our biggest, I would say. That's awesome. And whenever I hear an entrepreneur saying, hey, we went down and we did this really hard thing, I'm hearing them clear away the forest to make it easy for the next person. So that's the value creation, right? People come and use their service now and to them it seems easy because you've done all the heavy lifting. Yeah. Does. So this is my favorite part about this is that I've had so many people reach out and say like, Hey, I want to do a project. And like, can you help me? And, and I was like, yes, you just wait a second and I'll give you all of the stuff that we did in a nice little package. Like, wait, it was supposed to be done this, this, um, this week, Ukraine stuff has, has pushed us back a little bit since that's a, a good portion of our team there. But, and they all say that. And then I, I see them all start a project. I said, look, Start your Discord. You have the art. You have all this stuff. Start your Discord. You don't need me yet. I, I'll help you. I'll do the tech for you. I promise. Like I'll do the contract myself if, if that's what it comes down to. But like go build a go try to build a community. And they all fail. It's the same as podcasts, right? Like they don't they say like it's after two episodes most people quit or something. It's the exact yeah. same thing. Getting that first thousand people is the most grueling. I sent over ten. I spent or I sent over ten thousand messages in the Discord uh, in my own Castlegate Discord, and that's a lot. Like that's a lot of time. I, I wish I could. You see were hand typing those. In there. Hand typing them. Yeah. I was wow. in there. I was blessing people to whitelist by hand because of the fact that being real, being genuine was so important. And like now we have automated stuff. We have whitelist bots. We have games. We have all, the, all these things. But the reality was like I needed to know every single little piece of it in order to know where the problem points were and how I can be, mo- how I can be value creative. The reality is that like we're sitting in the time of email we're, uh, in like the 1990s. Uh, when again, I wasn't sending emails back then, but I heard a lot about it. Uh, the they used to hire agencies to code emails. And, and I think that's where we are in NFT space. Like, I think there are so few solidity devs that it's like the pricing is ridiculous. The money is insane. They're like, it's really easy to like hold on to that stuff, but margins are going to compress it. And you really need a way to like solve pain points for the future. So for us, it was always like, why don't we just have this all in one solution? We've already done everything ourselves. Uh, and then now when people hit me up and it's like not a project that I think needs like custom tech. I just say like, hey, like wait two weeks and I'll just give you a nice little package. I'll take way less than I'm going to charge you otherwise. And then everyone wins. If you go build your community, we both win. If you don't, 
then it, none of we didn't waste our own time. So that scalability gets really lethal. And that's without even talking about how the worst person, the worst tech person on my team can now launch their own projects to do the people that are on our agency side, which have carried, awesome. you know, 4X margins. What's success in this? I know Castle Kids wasn't your biggest uh, move that you've been involved with, but it, it's the one where you kind of went end to end. I don't know if you can talk about it, but what, what kind of money moved in that project? Yeah, so it was, it was $4 million, um, in primary. So right off the bat, it was $4 million. That was split between a bunch of different uh, parties in terms of what we did. Our, our net revenue was about half of that. Um, our gross revenue that we recognized was, was about half of that. Uh, net was a little bit lower than that. Um, so you and one then, project, when you say primary, you mean it's the initial issuance of the NFTs that people can buy. First transaction. Exactly. First like transaction when they're minted. The finance folks. Yep, yep. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, so $4, $4 million. million bucks, how long did that take to make? Uh, 18 minutes was the, from the what? on sale to the, to the money was about 18 minutes. Yeah. The process of, of that was a lot longer. Like me right. meeting It's eight weeks to get to, to that 18 minutes. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, it, and it's like eight weeks like hypercharged. Like my, I remember at one point during the on sale, there's a p- bunch of funny stories I have about like this whole process, but like the day of the on sale, we had like a pre-sale going. Um, and we, uh, and my partner, wait, I was in San Francisco. My partner was in, was in New York. And I noticed, I was like, it's like two 30 for me. I go, you're still up. And it was five thirty, And I had to order him. I go, I need you on to like, we're on sale tomorrow. Like, and he was watching like a couple of things, like making sure that like everything was tight. And I was like, dude, I got it. Like, let's just like sleep in shifts. Like we got it. But so, so, you know, you say six to eight weeks, you say all of these things and people think it's so easy that it's like almost insulting because it, the amount of like blood and, and like sweat and, and like, I think literal tears that went into that process was so, was so grueling. But again, like now there's nothing that can phase us. Like we, we dealt with a DDoS attack. We dealt with, uh, people trying to hack. We dealt with a bunch of people. Uh, we dealt, we dealt with you not being able to mint. Uh, we dealt with a bunch of different things. Oh, I don't know if we dealt with it, but we, we solved it. Um, right. resolved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I just closed the ticket. Um, but, but we did so many different things that like success to me is first of all, knowing that I'm not scamming people. That's like one of my biggest things is that like, there's so many people in the space that are so bad and like they'll, they can make the money. They can do big things, but they're, you know, they're stealing, they're taking $70 million of liquidity out, for example. Um, so that's one, one area of success. The other is like, can I actually build something? Can I actually do something that like exists and isn't just a, a Fugazi pretend thing? Like, I'm going to go build a game. Like, if I say I'm going to build a game, can I go build a game? Uh, if I say I'm going to do a 3D asset, can I go do, do a 3D asset? So far, right. we've nailed every single piece of, of that for, for every project that we've done. Um, and that's really important. Success, though, at the same time is like, can we go and like really start taking this over? And, and again, like with where our pipeline is at and with where we are, you know, it is not necessarily a hits driven business, but we're always one shot away from uh, another massive, massive um, project in and of itself. So we're kind of organizing ourselves around that, taking really big shots. I mean, our pipeline has over 60 million followers uh, in terms of like, and that's like over like four or five people. Um, we're, we're very confident in the future of this. We really just want to make sure that we're building real stuff and we're not just saying, hey, here's someone with a lot of followers, like go buy this. That's, I, following the ethos of crypto is really important to me as well. Okay, so you guys um, have launched these successfully. You've kind of gone end to end. What are like the top three tips you'd have for people who are interested in this, whether they use your service or not? Like, what are the what's the top three pro tips? Yeah, I think don't fall for the scams. And I know that's like easier said than done. But there are so many people, and I, I've now watched a bunch of my friends try to launch projects, and you know, I've tried to give them support where I can. But uh, they'll go pay a, a, an influencer who is charging them like one ETH for a tweet. And that influencer is just botting everything. Um, 
don't fake it is another tip I would have. Don't we with Castle Kid like it was very it would have been very easy for us to pretend like we had sixty thousand people on our server. We banned uh, about uh, thirty nine thousand bots as part of our process, like, and that made us have a smaller server. Technically, it was only twenty five thousand when we minted, um, but it was real, and I and I knew. And everyone else knew that it was real because we would publish like it was basically like putting heads on spikes. We would like publish like, hey, we banned today. We banned 1100 bots. And like we'd, we'd show the, the reports of like how, how many people we had banned. And that was like, oh, wow, these guys, these are actually 25,000 customers. And and mm-hmm. that was like the craziest thing. I, there, there are so many businesses as an investor that I've looked at. And I don't know that I've seen like growth like that uh, the, the, our our charts are like crazy like the amount of, we were incorporated for about 18 days i think before we made the money or 30 days something like that uh and like the power in the space is really cool but you have to leverage it in a real way if you don't leverage it in a real way you'll never do another project it'll be over so um for us it's always been important and then those are two the third is like it's kind of don't be fake and then don't like don't Make sure that you have something that's unique. Don't just copy everything that's that's done before you. I know that you people see, oh, there's all these derivative projects, you know, Kevin's and all that stuff made a bunch of money. But the reality is like those are all being done by the same people. And if you like dig in a little bit, you do a little bit of block exploring, it is a machine that's been created that is an evil machine in my opinion. But it's it's not, you know, a couple kids in a basement being like, let's go do a derivative. It's it's calculated and it's uh it's designed to take liquidity out of the markets. Um, a few of them are actually like true builders. And this is what we're going to see. The the crypto winter or the NFT winter or the bear market or whatever is just going to be people getting smarter. It's not going to be people giving up. It's it's just going to be people getting smarter, which is why I'm so excited about NFTs 2.0 because I think true builders, there aren't very many of us. There are very few actually. And uh, if you have the right stuff and you're prepared, like money flows to value in times of, of, of you know bear markets. And I, I, I do that as a joke since everything's still up like, Ten thousand percent, but yeah, that's probably the overall. Will you define NFT two point for us? What's one point oh? Yeah, so this is just something I've been saying recently uh, in our pitches and, and things that we're talking about. Like NFT one point was like the minting, so like getting things done, um, making sure that something could get on the blockchain that people could own it, and that you could then start delivering value to the NFT. NFTs two is integrating NFTs much more largely into a broader system. So, in my opinion, I think that. NFTs that then create ecosystems is going to be really important. There's only 10,000 of them, 5,000, however many a collection has. But there's so many different interactions and things that you can offer that maybe not everyone wants. So in my opinion, NFTs and then tokens coming behind them are really important. Uh, I think social tokens are are not very great on their own. I think they create a ton of complexity. I'm I'm, I'm publishing something on this as well very soon. Um, But when coupled with an ecosystem where it's like, let's say it's a musician again. I want to go on tour, or maybe I don't want to go on tour. I'm just going to hold on to the tokens and I can sell them to someone else who maybe doesn't have an NFT, but wants like a, a merchandise, like a signed merch. If I own the NFT, I get dropped free tokens and then I can use that to, to do whatever engagement that I want. You can then also link this to like, if I listen to the album a hundred times, I can earn some tokens and like all these different types of, of mechanisms in which you can control engagement and you can have that like two way street of value between the creator and the, and the artist. Um, but that takes time to do, and it takes real builders, and it takes real like it's real technology integrations. Yeah, exactly. And and like this shit, people promise a game in like four weeks, four you know, four months, and it's like this shit's hard. Like building yeah. things at all is hard, and then building them on the blockchain with limited devs, and you know, now with like a, a war, like all these other things. Like I never thought yeah. a a like global uh you know global geopolitical issues would impact like a JPEGs business, but here we are. You know, yeah. Yeah, so so playing it back. So 1.0 is hey, everyone gets their membership card seamlessly. 
2.0 is the membership card gets you things, perks and all yep. that other, get you into yep. whatever. Okay, bitching. And I, the contraction really makes, like, it's really important. Like, people are like, are you, and I, I get, I know so many people are waiting for, like, NFTs because I'm such a, I'm, I'm so, like, loud about it. I mean, I know there's so many people just waiting for it to, to come down and people are like, aren't you scared? Like, aren't you worried? Like, you're really leveraging up on, like, a very risky asset. And the reality is, like, I need this to happen. Like, I need people to stop looking at pictures of random animals and saying that's worth $20,000 because it's really hard to deliver a $20,000 experience. This is my biggest fear with like Yuga Labs and, and the apes and everything else. Like as soon as you have to start doing stuff, you remove like the fog of war and all of a sudden that value, you have to like make that decision about the value. People, people went to the yacht party. It was fun. I had a great time. Was it necessarily worth the amount of money that it, had, that it would cost for membership? I don't think so. And I think that I need this contraction because I can't sell a $20,000 experience. I just, I just can't. Like, How many things do we buy that are that expensive? But I can sell $400 experiences all day. I think that that's really where the price points... These things could, could jump like tickets to, to your point earlier, like StubHub. They could jump 2x, 3x. They shouldn't jump 100, 10,000x because of the fact that you just can't deliver those types of things. Life is not like... There's not many things in this world that I would spend $200,000 on. And that's like the reality. Um, and I think that that's what's necessary for 2.0 to like make sense. And like, to be honest, how people actually see, like, my dad will get involved if it, if it has like real utility, right? And it's just the speculative nature is what, what damages it a bit. What does the industry need? You know, as you're going from 1.0 to 2.0, for the entrepreneurs listening to this, how can they help? Where are the opportunities? It needs more designers. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny because like for most of the, like, my web two life as an investor, I, I always kind of scoffed a little bit more about design because it's like how many different like templates or your you know flows are there? Like I feel like we kind of kind of have it kind of figured out a bit. But now in Web three, I'm like, man, no one knows no one knows anything, and it's silly to pretend like the experience is is smooth, right? Like onboarding someone to crypto through NFTs is is hell. I I would never want to do it. I've never believed in NFTs as an onboarder for for people. I think NFTs can get people interested in crypto, and then they need to do other things first. But it's so ripe with scams, and and the flows are so bad. There's Half the time you click adapt and it doesn't even uh, it doesn't even like give you a notification about what's happening, so you don't even know what you're signing or anything like that. Like people are getting ripped off left and right. So we need we need like better UX um, and UI. I think those two things are like the biggest short term. You go on like ElementFi and like 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 billions of dollars are being traded on that or, or, or staked or anything, and it's so it looks so horrible. Like and I guess Schwab shit does too, but like. It's just, it's a horrible experience. And like, we're, we're better than that. Like web three should be like the most sleek, like futuristic, like, and it's just not, it's a, it's a, it's a Chrome browser extension and, and a couple other things that just like limit the optics of, of the experience. Yeah. And if you're not pretty much a developer at some level or have like been trained in technology at some level, it's hard to navigate. It's hard. Oh, it's not, it is not horrible. designed for, you know average the average consumer yet not even close not even close and i get that's something we've that's one of our biggest learnings is that i was so ready to drop all this stuff that's like super exciting to crypto people like like DAOs being involved in films and things like that and they're just not ready they don't i someone says like what was a doa what's a doa i kept getting and i was like that's not even how you spell it you know like it's we're so (laughs) far actually we're so far and the reality is it's like because it's who knows what's going on it's so much you got discords flying around you have people are talking about like monkeys and staking you know sheep and a bunch of others like it's it's so much it's so so little and the time. jargon's a barrier right even what i'm trying to do during this just trying to break it down to things that yeah people are gonna compare this to <laughs> the jargon GM, makes it, i don't even know what that is you make it super complicated and crypto did this yeah. too you know mining 
right? When you talk about it's when you describe to people, hey, it's computing power to process the transactions. People are like, oh, servers that run the website, yeah, that, and that's a lot yeah. easier to understand than mining because mining has another association in society. Right. So it's totally. it's confusing language. Yeah, proof of work in in general is like a whole whole thing that like took me a lot a while to understand. Like, yeah, that's the problem. And like, I'm sure this again. I don't have as much visibility in this, but I'm sure the internet was like that too. Of like people understanding totally. packets and like email and all these things. Like, you have to walk. So, so many people are so have been in it for so long that like they they like myself. Like, you just forget where people are at. And and for this technology to come of age and to get mass market appeal, it's not those consumers learning this jargon. It's the technology moving to them. Exactly. It's, it's coming into natural language that we're all used to, that everyone can understand. Okay, but yeah. look, there's, there's a lot of people jumping into this, right? Like, I yeah. saw um, a report today that Instagram's going to get an NFTs. I don't understand exactly what they're doing. Uh, what, what's happening here? Is this, is this a sign that it's going mainstream? Is it jumping the shark? Who's jumping into yeah. this? I don't know if you know the jumping the shark. I saw a really phrase. good... I do. I do. Uh, it's one of my, I actually use it a lot and people don't ever get it. Um, I think I actually don't really know where it stems from, but I, I'm going to look. Oh, I want to tell you then uh, it's a happy days. Okay. Happy yeah, yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. Way back when the Fonz eventually goes water skiing and yeah. does a jump in the water over a shark. And that was the moment when the show yeah, went too far. Okay. So jump. Right, the shark. I remember that. That's, that's great. Yeah. So I saw a tweet earlier today that I really loved that just said, it, the only thing it said was, we're winning. It was a retweet of that and of the meta thing. And it just said, we're winning. Um, the same as like, as soon as Jack Dorsey finally like admits that like, it's not just Bitcoin and like other things are cool too. Like then I'll, I'll get even more excited, but I don't need that. Like, this is one of the biggest things that I think is really hard for people to understand is that like all of these things that exist might not end up being as crypto as people want to your point about technology needed to come to them abstracting away is the easiest path to do so right it's abstracting away what they're doing you leveraging an underlying technology but one thing that we're working on pretty heavily and every single creator asks for is like can i mint these in usd and it's like well it's kind of not the point like the whole point is to like to get off of this stuff like i'll let you mint in usdc if you want but like the whole point is to get away from it but we understand that like that's probably what's going to take the metaverse is even crazier because everyone's like flocking to decentralized land and like nfts as land and the reality is like gaming all that stuff is content driven right is a metaverse or, or meta rather or or epic games or any of these bigger platforms as soon as they get interested in stuff it doesn't make your bags more valuable it makes the underlying technology more valuable but like if if instagram gets an nfts i don't think someone's going to go buy your like you know your sap you know, super snail from from three months ago like they're going to buy the new shit or they're going to buy the stuff that they're the platforms that they already exist on do it and it's going to be so content driven that i think it's it's actually very dangerous for this like ecosystem that we've worked on for so long. Like this decentralized, all of these different like ethos that we have, like OpenSea is not very decentralized. Like it's, they, they can automatically shut people down. MetaMask just shut, shut a bunch of people down in, in other countries. Like the stuff that we've been working for for so long and that makes it so cool gets taken out a little bit. So I think that like those things are interesting because I think that they're half of it's just press or understanding like the, the pure money behind things and saying like we can beat the competition, which I completely agree with for, for the record. Like, we as a space need to do better about uh, not looking like jackasses that just like throw money in anything because then all that's going to happen is like, then you're getting all these like cash grabbies from like major or, or organizations. And like, we work a lot with brands and be like, this is not a precedent. This is not like, this needs to be like a thing for you guys. You need to make sure that you are, you are working on like an ecosystem here. It doesn't have to be like 
you know, random fashion company is in the, is in the crypto now, but more like these are, this is mem- the new membership and like, this is how you get it. And these are in, you know, points in our system and you can abstract all the crypto stuff away, but like, are you going to adopt the technology or not? Um, and I'm very nervous about massive centralized platforms leveraging their content arms, which are better than everyone else and driving adoption in like a nasty way. That's my biggest fear. Um, and I think the metaverse is not decentralized. I think the metaverse will be won by content creators. I think you look at Epic and these other companies, like those games are just more fun. I'm, I, I'm not going to, I can't spend an hour and a half in uh, Decentraland, but I can spend a lot of time playing Fortnite. I have spent a lot of time playing Fortnite. So I get nervous about all that, but I also think it's ultimately like gets more people into crypto in general, which is great for the underlying bags that I'm holding. So. So for the organizations out here, okay, because I'd imagine there's a lot of people who are the have a title that has the word technology or innovation in it, and they need to do something for their boss, and they want to kind of make a move here uh, to get promoted or keep your job or fill in a roadmap or listen to someone on the board, whatever, however it came about. And they're thinking, oh, okay, the NFTs, we're going to go to the bottom of it. They're making an internal presentation. I'm thinking like universities, companies, nonprofits, big organizations trying to figure this out. Where do, where should they use NFTs? Where should they not? And where should they? Let me ask it that way. Yeah, it's a great question. They should use them for memberships, 100%. Um, You need a certain level of engagement from your online audience. Like we've talked to certain beauty brands who are like, most of our stuff is in stores. Like we don't really have a a membership. Like we might want to do that. I was like, there's no better way to launch a new vertical, in my opinion, or a new business line. Than NFTs because you front run your revenue um, at least a little bit, right? Um, mm-hmm. You basically prove that an idea is good with your consumers before you do it. And if it sucks, then it sucks. It's not who cares, you know. No one, no one looks at your brand as like a non NFT native brand and is like, wow, their NFT project failed. Like that was super lame. Like it, I don't think the people that actually care about your brand like really notice that. It's people that you were maybe going to get are like, this was a lame move, and so is like a lot of the stuff that brands do. Um, so memberships are the first one. For universities, I've been doing a lot of talks with universities recently, and it's super cool. Like, I don't know if they'll ever bite on this. I think it takes a lot of like much, much older people who move way slower to to adopt this. But the reality is, it's like governance and student organizations, all these things could be done in such a cooler way. Like, a school isn't is a closed ecosystem. They have meal plans. They have points that could be redeemed for things already. They already have like a lot of the the foundational rails in place. They just need to shift the technology a little bit. If I could mm. vote on on policies, I would switch my. I would I would have been a lot more active in my student government. I know like universities don't really want people to be involved, but like right, they, you know, it, it does. I think it does change like shift a lot of different things. And I think that enabling your co- consumers, especially people who are willing to spend the most money to engage with your brand, is the greatest way to kind of d- decide where you're going next. There's all that talk about like find. Your hundred people that are going to spend a thousand dollars instead of a, instead of a thousand, they're going to spend a hundred or whatever the, the phrase is. There. Okay, so we're both Columbia Business School grads. So give an example there. So how would Columbia Business School drop NFTs in a way that actually makes sense? So they already have. I think uh, I might be wrong, but I know a bunch of students dropped like a collection of hundred sold out immediately. It was super cool. I, I was really cool to be a part of that. Um, the way they would do it, I th- in my opinion, is is content token gating content. So. I think Harvard is like, it's such an easy decision for them, right? Because they have so much content that people want. They're already token gated. It's a great way to like tip their hand of like, hey, we're on the forefront of innovation. Even if you don't really like this, if we could create a smooth experience, you could just access our case studies and you could spend different amounts for different kinds and all that stuff. You can, it's a really easy way to do it. Um, the other is like for Columbia, I think, so, so that's part of it. I think another part of it is 
um, around like decision making and budgets that are being allocated. Like I think it should be a, a more of a treasury. Like the amount mm-hmm. of money I, I know personally that like a lot of the money that we spent on events was like very unilaterally decided by like two people um, and like very centralized decision making. And I know that like there's a lot of room for like misconduct in those types of ways. So I think that a really cool thing would be to like create more treasury management systems where people vote on stuff and it's actually decided by the people. And again, these aren't super, these aren't scary things. These aren't crypto, super crypto things. These are just, let's use some technology in order to do this. There's a way to do this in a web 2.0 version too. It's just, in my opinion, not as innovative and kind of, lack it fails to like adhere to like an infrastructure that's already built all right i want to switch gears if you're open to it let's do it like we've we've hit the nfts a bit but i want to i want to learn more about you can you give us just talking about me i'm sure it's (laughs) uncomfortable for everybody but you start at the top (laughs) just give us a little overview of your background i I know you you mentioned that you grew up in las vegas um and we we overlap a little bit in some uh southern california roots can you give us a little little of your story yeah, so I was I was born in Riverside, moved to Vegas when I was three. My dad was a concrete contractor, so he basically just moved the business to where um, it was the fastest. I was the first person in my family to go to four year institution. Um, I went to USC as an undergrad, um, studied business, and then my dad made me. And then I studied music, which was my real passion. Um, thereafter, I got a double major in both of those. I when I was a sophomore in college, so I wasn't yet twenty one. I performed with Dylan Francis, who was just coming up as a DJ at like a random USC party. I was just playing music a bunch as, as, as much as I could, just getting in front of people. What, what are you doing? You, you show, you're up there on guitar was, or what are you? Yeah. So I, I'm like, a, I play piano and guitar growing up. I, I, can, I can play pretty much you know, any instrument with a keyboard, basically. Uh, but now I, then I was just performing my songs that I had produced and just DJing. So I did that. He came up to me and asked me like what a, what a song was. And I was like, oh, that's something that I made. He's like, damn, like, I didn't realize that you were playing like a random, <laughs> like, basement show. And he's like, would you want to come play, like, around LA? I was like, yeah, I'd love to. So, played a couple shows after that. He got me connected and then eventually met a couple other people who got me even more ingrained. I was bringing, like, a whole college crowd to everything, which is, like, every club's dream. So, it's, I, I won't pretend like it was just because I was, you know, a musical genius, but more that I was a, a, a marketing genius, I think, and could, could fill, fill rooms, which I knew was the biggest thing. And I got a couple like uh, domestic tours. I uh, went on tour with like Will John, Dis- Disclosure, T Pain, a bunch of different acts, and then leveraged that to get myself into the music business at WME doing music touring. Did that, worked for the head of the music department in about three months um, from the mailroom to working for him, which was insane. Got to see the whole big business, decided I hated it. Um, asked to move to the finance and accounting department because we had just bought the UFC and like we were so excited. I was so excited about like, oh wow, we're becoming like bigger than an agency. I want to be involved on the MA stuff. Um, and I said no because I was like a musician, so I, I wouldn't let me do it. <clears throat> so I started a company doing like stock trade alert service, just built it myself using like Twilio and a couple other things. So anyone that wanted to follow my portfolio would just spend ten to a hundred bucks a month, depending on what they what access they wanted. And uh, also called Minotaur, funny enough, uh, Minotaur Insights though, and yeah. got got it. Yeah, got over a thousand users. Uh, front page of Wall Street Bets did two hundred something percent in twenty seventeen. Took it to my boss and I said, look, this agent, this agent, this partner, and like all of your friends are all signed up for my business. I clearly know what I'm talking about in terms of analyzing companies. Uh, let me switch into the department. Uh, let me go do finance and accounting. And finally, let me do it. And then I first deal that I worked on was Dapper Labs and CryptoKitties back in 2017. So that was Got what filled me. I converted everything to crypto. So I started investing in crypto pretty heavily. My All my users like just cratered. Like the entire company ended up 
getting knocked out because everyone's like, you're a madman. Like, what are you doing? And I kept saying, I was like, you guys have followed me until this point. I've made everyone a lot of money. Like, let's, let's rock. Uh, so lost a lot of that. And then crypto winter knocked me out. So I was like, I got to go back to school. I got to find my, find myself, do all that stuff. Uh, did a bunch of VC investing and then, um, started Minotaur after, after Columbia business, business school. So what's the background on the name Minotaur? Why is, why is everything? I, I'm just obsessed with so, so Yes, yeah, so there's two angles. One is half man, half bull. So I'm always, I, I'm like a, not a bull only. I'm actually fairly bearish on many things, but I do believe when I believe in something, I go full bore into it. Um, so I'm, you know, I, I am just a man, but I'm also, I also like that, that thing. Also the Minotaur, like historically is just such a cool, I also like the really like weird stuff. Like the Minotaur story is really interesting. Um, like finding your way through a maze, like the, this like beast that was like, like, you know, crushing kids and things like that. Like just an interesting story to me. And I just felt like the, both of those played so well on like a market type business and both of the companies, like the reason I kept the name for this one is because they're both onboarders in a way, right? Like creating a smoother onboarding experience for creators to launch projects and like join the ownership economy is like the whole ethos of Minotaur. And enabling like all my friends who were first time earners because they had just gotten out of college, they'd never made money before, enabling them to enter the markets more safely with like a guide, uh, like a guided hand was all I was doing at, at Minotaur Insights. So I feel like that like thread continued. It's also been most of what I've been doing throughout my life. Like I've, I've published a lot of content. Like I've always been into like showing people how to do stuff. Um, it's like something that like drives a lot of like personal happiness and fulfillment for me beyond like the, beyond like the financial, uh, nature of things. Now, it, it seems like you're a little bit of a wild man, right? Like this sector you're chasing and everything else. Um, what are the life experiences that have kind of helped shape you? How did, how did, how did you get here? I'm addicted to risk. I think um, my dad is an entrepreneur as much as like a non-traditional entrepreneur, like someone who just like started a real business. I'm like, mm-hmm. and I'm not knocking anyone when I say that, but like, that's actually a traditional business. entrepreneur. We're all the non-traditional yeah. ones. Yeah, exactly. Like no, no, like he owned hundred percent of the company, like never raised capital and never really dealt with anything outside of just like, let's go make money and build houses. Um, that taught me to like take risks and like to, to, to push into things as much as possible. I, when I was younger, I was like obsessed with like experience is like the currency of life. Like I kept saying that like to the point where I think it was really annoying. Uh, and I kept saying like, I need to experience every single thing. Like I don't want to miss a show. I like, I FOMO'd into every single thing and it wasn't, it was like a reckless amount. I, I was chasing like a, a skydiving license. So I did 24 jumps um, in like two and a half weeks, three weeks. Like I was driving <laughs> to Paris, California every, like every moment that I had and sleeping there overnight in like a, in like a bunk with like eight other people that I'd never met before. And like skydivers are like weird people in general. So like just a weird experience. And then my 24th jump right before the license at 25, I, uh, I nearly, I, my parachute didn't deploy. I had to pull my reserve and, uh, nearly like, like nearly crashed to my death. And I was like, man, I would have been so pissed if that happened. Yeah, it was nuts. And I, and I you been dead. 24 jumps. That would have been dead. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And the thing is when I, when I pulled my reserve, it's a whole crazy experience. Like you have to like decouple your main chute, like through two, through two poles here. And then you go back into free fall and then you have to then pull your reserve, which is spring loaded and this whole other thing. So um, how long do you need a, from the moment you realize you're fucked till you can get so you have, the reserve out? So you have like an altimeter on your wrist and it yeah. says like how high you are. And it has like a, a yellow, like, Hey, like you should decide, you know, you should pull here. And then it has like a, if you pull after this, like you're, you, you won't stop that fast enough. Um, it's funny cause it's been so long. I think it's 2,500 feet, 3,000 3, feet. You drop about a thousand feet a second. Um, you drive, you jump from like 15,000 feet. So you don't have that much time. And the thing <laughs> is like you play, you play around for a bit too. Cause you're like, you're enjoying yourself. So like I flipped out of the plane, 
I was messing around. I pulled it like kind of, you know, whatever ish late. I knew that I was like going to get my license soon anyway. And then I looked up and like this thing was like real curled and, and I was still falling. Like, there's a real big difference between free flow. I've never, don't know if you've ever done it, but like between free fall and then floating. And I was like, I'm not floating. I'm still falling pretty fast. I looked up and my thing was like, was all, all fucked up. And, uh, and then I pulled my thing off, you know, pulled it off, go back into free fall. And then you're, I mean, you don't really remember a lot of that. Like, you're just so well trained. They make you do that before every single jump. Like, you know, exactly. Like I can do it right now. Like I feel right where it is. Um, and that like, it's funny because that actually taught me a ton. Like I realized that like within, within reason, like I started looking like both ways before I crossed the street after that. Like I was like, man, life is like, I have so much more to do. There's so many more things that I want, but like this level of risk, I was riding motorcycles all the time. Like I was doing everything I could to just soak up that like adrenaline. Uh, I was like going to music festivals. I mean, I go, I still go to like 10 to 12 music festivals a year. Um, I'm so like addicted to the rush of that stuff. And the funny thing is that like none of those rushes were anything like the, the castle kit on sale, right? Like, or, or the creature world on sale or any of those things like success and in, in business is like very addictive as well, especially with like that rush of like the fact that it's all jam packed into a moment is like so cool. And I think that I've really found like the perfect like nexus between like my old life in music and my future of investing and all those other things. Like it, it seems like the perfect storm for me in terms of like my connectivity to artists and ability to like speak both languages. Like I can't imagine a, a better fit in my mind. Yeah. It seems like you were made for this path. So <laughs> yeah. you're, you're here now and you've been in the fire and you've learned a lot. What are the most important things you learned about entrepreneurship? What tips can you offer people? Yeah, I think this one is like no one to spend the money. Um, I think in terms of like fundraising and, and those things, like I think people, I don't know how other people feel about this, but, but I've always been like super frugal, you know, like growing up in my family, like we, we, before my dad's business, like moved to Las Vegas, like it was very, it was a struggle, like concrete in California is like not that big of a thing. And, uh, and I grew up like really understanding like the value of money. I used to be so scared. Like my mom would give me money for, for lunch at school and I would just find like free lunch around school and I would just pocket the money because I was so terrified that we were going to get kicked out of our house and like we were renting it like we didn't own anything and we had no furniture i was like sharing a bed with my cousin like all this crazy stuff so i've always been so like frugal and like i don't want to spend money if i can if i can learn it i'll just do it so with like my company too like with with minotaur originally um there's a guy that was like yeah i could build this app for you for like you know this amount of money and i was like no shot like i'll just go learn it for that amount of money like i'll just i value my time and my own bank more to, to do it the thing is like with investing though, like the whole point is that you're supercharging that. And I think that that's like been one of my earlier lessons is like, you, you can just spend the money to, to get help and to, to where you're not doing everything. My team had to tell me like, dude, you got to pull off of like the art generation. Like it makes no sense for you to do that. Um, and I think that's like a, the biggest lesson is like having trust in not only your team, but also in your own ability to allocate capital, even though it's something that like, it may be something newer for you. Um, trust that you need to spend money on the things that you need to spend money on to, to arm yourself to be, to be lethal otherwise. And I think like finding out who I was and who I am and like what I'm really good at. And like, it's really just talking. Like I'm really good at being an agent. I worked at WME. Like I have, I have a really strong like ability to sell and make people understand things. Uh, and I kept hearing that feedback and I was like, used to be afraid to even talk on the phone, like to, to like call the doctor's office or anything. Funny now it's how like, it works out, right? That is, but yeah, it's crazy. That's like my biggest strength now. I'm like, I'm telling like where we're at as a company is, is because of the entire team executing, but it's, it's not possible without me, um, out there selling and, and, and doing that. And like, if I don't do that, we can't execute. And if I'm too busy worrying about 
working or, or learning how to do solidity and like not paying an engineer because I was like, I could just do his job. I don't know what he's doing all the time. Like I, all that, like that's not the right way to do it when, when you're trying to move fast. And, and that's been my biggest thing that I had to learn because my dad, with my dad, it was just way different. Um, and, and I've never had that kind of guidance. And so now, yeah, spend the money when you need to spend the money and, and know that you, you know, you're better than you think and you put t- the team around you for a reason. Um, and if you don't like the people that are around you, then just go get someone else. It's a big world. It's great having you on. I learned a ton. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's always a blast. So Sterling is clearly fascinating. Uh, and I love being able to talk to people who are in these frontier industries who are not totally drunk on the Kool-Aid. You get a little dose of reality and some insight into how all these novel technologies, such as NFTs in this case, will actually be integrated and applied to society going forward. This is where I pander and ask you to help out. If you liked what you heard, give us a five-star review, share with a friend, anything else you can do. You can find me on Twitter at MPD. And to hear more of my conversations with innovators, you can subscribe on YouTube, Facebook, or any major podcast platform. Just search for innovation with Mark Peter Davis.